You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, proleftpod.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for March 15th, 2019. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the Cornfield Resistance, where veto is not a sentence. It's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Tough week. Yeah. Tough, tough week. Tough day. We yeah. are recording on Friday. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's it's another massacre. Yep. Uh, crazy white person with the addition of being uh, an internet troll who apparently, although I have not watched it and I do not recommend anyone go looking for it if it's still up, uh, videotaped his massacre uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this is uh, another day waking up to something like this, and uh, I am so sorry for the victims of this, yeah. and sorry that we as a world can't seem to do anything about guns, toxic masculinity, crazy people having weapons of mass destruction yet. And white supremacy. I'm still hopeful that someday we can do something about this. Well, we know what the signifiers are, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not hard to identify these people. This was true when Timothy McVeigh blew up the Murrah Federal Building. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what mm-hmm. what what's this guy have? What are all the signals this guy is sending? Um, and, and they're they're all there. They're not terribly hard to spot. Um, it doesn't mean every crazy ranting anti-government white supremacist idiot is a potential spree killer, but it does mean that all of these guys have two or three things in common that can either be inflamed by someone in, let's say, the White House encouraging it or tamped down by someone in the White House urging calm and compassion and peaceful coexistence. And that's... Well, and all of these things happened uh, when Barack Obama was president as well and, yeah. and were inflamed by his very existence. Right. Uh, I was reading an article in Sojourners about racism. It's in the new issue of Sojourners. Um really connecting white supremacy and uh, violence. And this is, this of course was written before today, before this happened, Mm -hmm. Uh, connecting it because this is a religious publication, connecting it with Satan, but connecting it with denial and that Satan wants you to pretend that he doesn't exist or, or ignore his existence Mm -hmm. so that he can, he can work. And, uh, this belief that, oh, we're over racism now. Oh, we're over, you know, our society is over hatred and over uh, homophobia, Islamophobia, white supremacy. You know, we're, we're moving forward onward and upward. Uh, If the past decade hasn't been a, you know, a smack in the face to that denialism. Yeah. uh, We've got so much work to do to love more for every hate, as the old hymn says, and to, to be sane about guns. This is this is the point, is we're being called to tamp down greed. And everything we do, it's all about... That is really... If we could do that, if we could solve the problem of greed in right. this world, so many 
smaller problems would be solved. Um, I am so grateful that today, while we are mourning and feeling enraged by what happened in New Zealand, uh, young people around the world are striking for a better environment. And uh, the turnout is massive. And these, and I can call them kids because they're my kids' age, are impatient, <laughs> as as young people often are, Yeah, but have a reason to be. Yes, they do. And <clears throat> it's time to uh, combine that youthful impatience with the urgency of the problem mm-hmm. for our climate. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm grateful that I saw that today because that made me think, okay, it's not all going to hell. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and they, they have to live here after we're gone. Right. And that's that really is the bright dividing line mm-hmm. uh, between people who just don't give a shit about what happens to the world after they're gone. Mm-hmm. They're they're uh, solipsists, they're narcissists, and they don't care. They want to use it all up now, burn through it all now, kill anybody who stands in the way of them using everything up now, die in I think there are very comfort. few people who would admit to that, however. Yeah. Well, is it, yeah, uh, well, is it? They, they don't want to change or be inconvenienced. But, and so the Green the New Deal of, is going to inconvenience them. Right. right. And at the bottom of that is I don't want to give up anything for anybody. Right. Especially people right. who are not who are not my problem. And the future in their minds is not their problem. Mm-hmm. And that is a, you know, really, like I said, a clear, bright dividing line between groups of people, people who think, yeah, we are stewards. Uh, we're here for a short time. What does is, what is middle child always say? We're here for a good time, not a long time, <laughs> um, which is could might as well be the American capitalist motto. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that we are obligated to pass along the place we inherited from our mothers and fathers in as good or better shape than we found it in. And we are failing in that mission pretty spectacularly. And these young people, younger people are going to have to live in the mess we leave behind. Um, I think what you're also hearing since you were talking about loving more than hating, Mm -hmm. you're hearing the sound of, that large middle third of the country who doesn't want to believe these are real problems. Yeah. Slapping the snooze alarm over and over again, harder and harder and holding the pillows over their ears, not wanting to believe that things are as bad as they are. Or that 30, 20 to 30% of their country is this bad. Well, that's, that's the problem. The problem is they cannot accept that as true because the immediate corollary action would be and now you are now that you're aware of the problem now now that you're aware of the fire burning and the children in the burning building you now have choices to make you can either look away and take Mm -hmm. responsibility for doing nothing or Mm -hmm. you can try to save them and Mm -hmm. they don't want Mm -hmm. that moral burden thrust upon them they don't want to have to take responsibility for their own fucking country they want to and it's just easier to pretend that that none of this is going on Everything is a one-off. Everything is a fluke. Or that no matter how horrifying the right behaves, the left is just as bad. Yeah. So well, I, and I, I think no I think there is a fear to take to take a stand against evil is is exactly what this article in Sojourners was about. Which mm-hmm. is if if and when I say love more for every hate, when I quote that hymn, 
I'm not talking about, you know, if we just love everybody, then we could all get along and we can all go on forward. And because, like as you say, that is a cop out. That is a fear of controversy, a fear of making a stand against evil. And that's exactly what this article was saying. This That's when Satan wins is when you're terrified of making a stand against evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and they point out the moment when, when Barack Obama stood in front of that church in South, in uh, South Carolina and sang amazing grace, that that was one of the most terrifying moments for Satan, because all of a sudden people re- really saw the black church and all of the suffering and all of the shootings and all of the cop shootings, black lives matter saw that, Oh, this really happened. This this shooting of people in church during a prayer meeting because they're black really happened. This is what white supremacy does. And you can't be neutral. You can't say, well, if we just love everybody because this evil occurred. And if you if you hide from that instead of standing up to it, uh, you're fighting for if you don't take the side of good, you're standing with evil. That's what's going on here. And I, you have to make it. We all have to make a choice. Are we going to are we going to say, well, you know, I know that guns are bad and everything, but the NRA gives so much money to causes that I care about. And after all, Democrats murder babies on the operating table. And you're going to slip into that lie and slip into whatever lie it is that lets you keep your privilege and your power and your money. Uh, you're fighting with Satan. That's it. Well, and I had that a little bit of a, just a casual brushing up against experience of that, um, which I'm not going to drag you into, I promise. Uh, <laughs> uh, listening to Stephanie Miller this week. Uh-huh. And I'm only going to bring it up because she had on, uh, I forget the woman's name. She's a best-selling author. She's running for president. Oh, Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson. From California. Yeah. Uh, and at, she's running for president, yes, right? Is. Yes, she is. And is she running as a Democrat or is she running as an independent? I don't care. <laughs> 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 because it was it was Stephanie Miller has come a long way. Uh mm-hmm. she she uh has not gotten over her fear of boycotts because if you boycott Rush Limbaugh, it's gonna take money out of her pocket. And I understand that right. that's a that's a problem. I do understand that. Right. But she right. has come fully on board with, oh, my fucking God, Chuck Todd, what the hell is it with this both sides bullshit? Right. Why are right. it's like and the scales fell from her eyes. I don't know when, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe three. But it suddenly became so clear, probably during the Trump campaign, that, yeah. oh, my God, both siderism is a real thing and it's a real problem. And it's the cause of everything else. And, and a lot of people have caught on to where we yes. were six years oh, ago. Well, or 14, 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Years ago. <laughs> this, I got a blog anniversary coming up. It's been 14 years. This month is Drift Class's blog anniversary. Yes. And it, what is, is it 14, 14 years? 14 years. I will have done this longer than I've done anything, almost anything. Wow. Um, except personal things I'm not going to talk about on, on this without a, <laughs> without a paid prescri- a subscription. Um, <laughs> but uh, so she's on there talking about you, you, exactly this, except. She's getting it 100% wrong. And it's just, you know, maybe the smug liberals uh, drove the people into Donald Trump's arms. You know, it really is both sides. And you can just hear, because she's a oh. friend of Stephanie Miller. She's a big time. Well, she's a big, she's uh, a big deal. wealthy. She's, right. a, she's a wealthy Californian who has lots and lots of friends. Right. 
I have a couple of her books. Mm-hmm. Some of what she talks about in terms of spiritual growth, I I agree with. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in terms of politics, in terms of uh, yeah, she's she's going to want to reach the audience that is as broad and generalist as possible. And, and so, as yeah, in, and there's two ways to do that. You can be completely mm-hmm. inoffensive. You can write children's right. books where little kids learn valuable lessons about sharing cows, you know, <laughs> yes, that's right, fine. Right. You can, you can be a train <laughs> that makes it around the bend and, and you accomplish something and good for you. Or if you're going to write, if you're going to dip your toe into politics, the way to be as completely inoffensive as possible is to equally offend both sides is to, no matter what Republicans do, it's the smug liberals who are really just as bad. Don't you think so, Stephanie? And you can hear Stephanie Miller grinding the, the, the enamel off her back teeth, trying not to say, fuck you. <laughs> that is yeah, everything yeah. I have done on this show is exactly the opposite of every Because this woman wanted to be serious about the, the problems on both sides and how we need to, you know, rise above and love each other and love, not hate. And like, that's great. What happens when one side is deeply committed to hatred? Well, you know, it's mm-hmm. the smug liberals are just as bad, you know, Stephanie. Yeah, and right. And her audience, and just based on what I could observe through social media, all turned off the radio at the same time and all contacted yeah. her through whatever means, like, please stop doing this. Please. Yep. And I know she's a big shot. She lives near you. She's wealthy. She has a lot of well, powerful friends. And you don't want to piss her off by calling her out on your show. But, oh, my holy God. Why are you letting this person who clearly believes exactly the wrong shit based on your own words? Why are you putting her on the air? And and now that she's on, why aren't you pushing back even slightly? And the answer is, oh, because I don't want to piss off a powerful rich person who's sort of in my corner. And, and yeah, and who has a lot of followers who yeah. are totally devoted to her. And and part of this too, I think, is the um regionalism problem that we have in this country now. Uh, even more so than we had maybe 30 or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, California is a world unto itself politically. Yeah. The West Coast and the East Coast are far more liberal than the rest of the country. Yes. California essentially doesn't have a Republican Party anymore yeah. and has so much, so many different voices within the uh, left of center that they can they can afford to fight with each other. Right. And I always say this when Californians write into our show and they do often and we mm-hmm. love them and glad to talk to them. Um but moving uh a California politician to the far left is fantastic. Go for it. Yeah. You know, absolutely do as much as you can to make uh your values uh fit the politics of the place you live. Uh there are People in other parts of the country who write us even more often than the Californians do, who are little blue dots in a very big red state, whose uh, customers for their particular business are Republicans, and they can't have a bumper sticker on their car because they will literally lose their livelihood. Mm -hmm. And I have just as much sympathy and respect for those folks Mm -hmm. as I do for those who are trying in California to make liberal values more liberal that's it 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 matters i you have know, where you are matters i think i think i don't know if we're t- we might be talking past each other just a little bit and, no and, i don't think we are because i think i i understand what you're saying about marianne williamson right. that she's trying but she's trying to market a brand she is, she is. <laughs> in california and around the country of you know let's 
let's realize that this both siderism and she's going to push both siderism right. because that's what sells. she wants she wants some slightly conservative people i mean a bible thumper evangelical is not going to buy her new age books but a lot of people will who would otherwise vote republican and she doesn't want to piss them off but it is a question as to why stephanie miller decided to have her well, on the and show again i promised That's, i promised i wouldn't beat yeah. this to death and we will move on i, I would like to say that we've got advertising we do to talk we, about they're lined up around the block <laughs> blue gal um yeah. the, if you want to experiment in how far left you can move in california that's great nobody mm -hmm. who's trying to move the party left in california is making a both sides do it argument at all that's true they're, they're you're right you're not. right the only people right. who make the both sides do it uh, argument are media hacks who are interested in selling the maximum number of dick pills or books or whatever or books to or whatever. a vast yep. number of credulous idiots who are terrified of making a moral judgment about one party or the other who want to stay above it all, who want to pretend that you know there is no racism or it's racism on both sides, but certainly nothing they would ever have to take a side on. And there are enough of those cowards out there mm -hmm. uh, to, fill, uh, to fill auditoriums yeah, and to fill churches yeah. and to fill stadiums. I'm sorry, that's, a, that's an auditorium. And she's selling her message to them. She's selling the same message Howard right. Schultz is selling. Which is I, I was going to compare yeah. the two absolutely, and yep. and the idea yep. that she would get any oxygen from anyone on the left is appalling to me, because it's just like <laughs> why the fuck are you putting Howard Schultz in a dress on your show when two <laughs> minutes ago you were saying Howard Schultz is a putz and he shouldn't be well because money, because yeah. I'm afraid of her cutting off my access to rich people. And I want to make her happy because she's sort of in my camp. And yeah. the, the one of the great luxuries. But see, she can afford to do that because of California. Well, that was my point. Is I, there you go. You can call liberals shrill and be talking about a totally different group of people right. if you're just talking about Californians than if you're talking about the nation as a whole. And we live in the real so. world. And because we have no sponsors <laughs> at all. We have this incredible. Right. And we don't give a. We have this incredible. <laughs> we have this liberty to say whatever we really want, whatever really is on our mind. We don't have to appeal to anyone. We don't have to uh, uh, to mollify anyone. We don't have to sit here and say, you know, Howard Schultz. That's the smartest thing I've ever heard anyone say today. <laughs> David Brooks, you've got a bunch of cool ideas. Let's talk about them at the next uh, Aspen uh, Institute. No, we don't have to do anything right. shit because we have. Drift glass. I want to read the first. Our first new sponsor. We have two new sponsors, we and we are saying farewell to one yes. that has made it out into the real world. Yes. Please, oh, please go that's ahead. I'm so sorry. Uh, you say you don't have time to listen to all your favorite podcasts, and listening to the We Hate Everybody podcast at double speed makes your favorite angry dorm floor bros sound like Minnie Mouse, detracting from their message of intellectually shallow nihilistic doom. Well, friends, you can cut down your podcast listening time by 60, 70, or even 80% with Like Away, the clever little app that eliminates gratuitous likes from your favorite podcasts and Sirius XM radio programs. Download now with the offer code English Motherfucker. Do you speak it? And we will also include Right Be Gone, the add on that edits out the word right from the end of every goddamn sentence. Like away, because you don't have time for this shit. And the Drift Glass wrote this, and he is showing his age. I am. I absolutely am. <laughs> I'm quoting uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. You, you don't have time for this shit? No. English motherfucker, do you speak it? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, this this really I, I I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of radio when I'm doing whatever. And I else. listen to virtually no podcasts right. during the week. I very few. I sample many, uh, and I write up some. And I got to say, there was a point at which um, it's like seafood. When you're young, you can eat all the shellfish you want. <laughs> but eventually, the toxins build up in your body to the point where you start having a really severe allergic reaction to crawfish and lobster and scallops and so on and so forth, yeah. which is why you and I don't really indulge in those things at all. That's right. Um, after a certain age, we couldn't do it anymore. Couldn't do it. That's right. And after a certain point, if you hear someone use the word like seven times in every goddamn sentence, I just turn it off. I can't mm -hmm. listen to it. I, You know, like, it's like, you know, like. You sound you know, like, like an old like, man. I know. Well, Right, move on. Right, you know, right, right, that right. right. I'm just saying, right? having done this for nine years, <laughs> take some free advice from the old people. Stop saying like every third word because it really is distracting. I mean, it's, it's incredibly <laughs> distracting. And stop weakening your sentences by ending every one of them with right. You know, right? Are you right? Because it at, again, after four minutes of that, that's all I notice. Anyway, just, and and that's a broadcasting thing. Yes. I think. Friends that talk to one another can talk to sure, one another any way they want. But broadcasting, you've got to kind of sharpen it up. It's pretty bad. Or, or say it and edit it out yeah, like we do. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, there's there's about a billion likes on the floor after Blue Gal's done with his podcast. And <laughs> it's true. Usually 30 minutes of David Brooks rants on my – I just keep those for myself. I cut all that yeah. out now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a second sponsor. We'd also like to welcome to uh, the ProLeft uh, sponsorship family, Gary's Pencils. Uh, like you, Gary, and his partner, Gil. Hey, everybody. We're sick and tired of paying high, crazy high prices for over-designed pencils with all kinds of fancy add-ons that nobody needs. But how could these two young entrepreneurs hope to compete in a market dominated by Big Pencil? Well, just outside the sleepy Latvian village of Kroslava, they found the answer. A venerable 120-year-old pencil factory that had survived World War I, World War II, and the fall of the Soviet Union. Using the $100 million they'd been saving for a vacation to Brussels, Gary and Gil bought the Zimulu Nam's pencil factory and the indentured servant contracts of all the employees from some anonymous Russian gentleman, and have now been making affordable pencils for real people ever since. Gary's Pencils, Trump era quality, Soviet era prices, and only available online at Gary'sPencils.com. I'm so glad that's a fake sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because it's awfully close to real? It really is. Yeah. Uh, and finally, we bid farewell this week to friends at Hello Fascist. It sort of became a real thing this week. As you know, Hello Fascist was on a mission to provide every Trump administration stooge and enabler in America with fresh home-cooked meals with no planning, no shopping, and no one calling you out for your moral depravity in public. Well, mission accomplished. Now there is an app called the 63rd State Safe app, which is a real thing. It bills itself as a Yelp-style app for conservatives who need protection from socialist goon squads. By identifying which businesses are safe for conservatives. Oh, uh, there's an update here. 63rd Safe has been taken down due to serious security issues. Yes, I looked that up today. Because we're, we're prepping for the show. And we we're, we actually thought this thing up. This Hello mm -hmm. Fashion. You know, we got a lot of calls and feedback. and Yeah, a lot of people let us know about it. I thought it was uh -huh. pretty cool. And then it turned out, yeah, we, we won't actually do meal prep. But we will map out a Yelp-like app that will let you know. Well, it's more of a green book app yeah, it is. in in a very racist way. Yeah. And and the other thing that Ten Grain pointed out at his place, uh, at Mock Paper Scissors, is that they didn't rate the food. No. no. 
they rated whether it was open carry or not yeah. in the restaurant, which is really uh, a bad idea. Once again, you know, on the on the morning after a horrible massacre, here we have an app showing you which restaurants you can take a gun into. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really uh, indicative of how insane the right is. That's that's. And I will that. just say and this: apparently, they did have to take this down because announcing where it's quote unquote safe to be a racist and a gun owner wasn't there were restaurants that didn't want you to put them on there. <laughs> well, and I remember back when open carry was, you could carry a beer from Glasscott's to Alex's right. restaurant next door and drink it there. Um, yep. And that's yep. no longer yeah, because that was a thing. You you could get a bottle of wine, you get a beer from one restaurant and you could take it to the other. That was the in, entire, that was the entire controversy of, of taking one thing to the next. But these Weak snowflake assholes don't feel safe anywhere unless they're packing. Yeah. And they want to know they can go to a restaurant and not have some liberal goons make them feel bad about being racist. And there's a place for that, and it's called Alabama. You know, it's amazing, though. I lived in Alabama. All three children. Uh Uh-huh. All three of my children were born in Alabama. So uh, suburban Alabama, suburban Birmingham is white and has McMansions and is... Uh, as bland as can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have learned uh, in Birmingham that uh, the racism doesn't bring tourism to the city. Mm-hmm. And the right wing gun shit doesn't bring tourism and bring uh, conventions money. to the city. And that's what they want is money. It's it's, it's money green. Birmingham has a black mayor now mm-hmm. for, I think, the first time since Reconstruction. I'm, I don't. Judge me on that. I'm not quite sure. But certainly during the entire time I lived in Alabama, which was 14 years, we did not have a black mayor. And so uh, there is a real push to at least present the city as progressive in terms of we're forward looking. We're not racist. We're not a bunch of, you know, right wing yahoos. You can bring your convention here and be uh, and not be embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And and that's a hard thing uh, <laughs> to do when you're Birmingham, Alabama, because you've got a history down you there. You do. Yeah. And you can lean but, into that history if, you, if you're smart and they're, they're trying. Well, that's I, I it. Re- exactly lean right. Lean into it. Exactly. Well, and they have the best, in my personal opinion, the best civil rights museum in the world. Yeah. Just It's fantastic. You will need to lie down after you've gone through it because yeah. uh, it is exhausting to do but mentally and emotionally exhausting to go through it. But it is remarkable. It is a remarkable thing. Um, And when you go through it, at the end, there's a window and you're looking out over the 16th Street Baptist Church where the four little girls died. That's the end of the tour. Well, let's let's Uh, take a moment then and say at the, you know, not the end of this podcast, because we're about, Mm -hmm. we we have a a minute or two to go. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's pause for a moment and notice that some things do get better. Well, yeah. and but but white supremacists were blowing up churches in 1963. Sure so I were. don't know if things are getting better no. or not. No, I, what I, I mean is I don't know. What I mean you know? is there's a museum. Yes, there's in the a museum. Heart of the Confederacy. Right. That that memorializes it unsparingly. Right. And charges admission to come in. Yep. And yep. is a going concern because people are are insisting that that past not be forgotten. Exactly. And that they're not afraid to go in the front forgotten. door. They're not terrified of being lynched on their way out. So No. Nope. There is that. It's 
It's and it I highly recommend it. If you go to Birmingham, don't miss it. Spend an afternoon and then make sure you have time off because you'll need to rest. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's fabulous. Uh, so uh, in talking about stuff today, Drift Glass, what, um, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the school admission scandal? I think that's a wonderful um, place to start. I, I was um, thinking about calling this podcast The Privileged View because there are so many uh, stories here in which privilege is being claimed, whether it's Manafort or Biden or this whole school admissions scandal. There just seems to be a lot of you know, who, who belongs and who doesn't kind of thing. And I'm not saying Joe Biden is... is Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm saying he's coming from a place of privilege. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, I know that he comes from Scranton. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I admit, I, I'm putting that in there as a condition. But the school admission scandal that seemed to really grab the press's, the media's attention because there are two TV celebrities or, or actresses uh, headlining this admissions scandal. Mm -hmm. Uh, and interestingly, they're charging them with mail fraud in part. And that is something that's always very interesting to me because uh, the feds are very good at prosecuting mail fraud. It's it's uh, They have a system for proving it. And that's why I really believe in vote my mail and hope that we go to that universally because it's uh, easy to prosecute. I think it's much easier to prosecute that as fraud as people in say North Carolina, <laughs> you know, grab all the absentee ballots and yeah. try to fraudulently vote for a Republican. Uh, it is it is easy to catch and easy to prosecute that. Um, but this school admission scandal brought out a lot of different discussions. Um, youngest child came home yesterday, and her te one of her teachers, who is African American. Uh, spoke very eloquently to the class about white privilege and being a black teacher in a majority black school where uh, she is one of 20% of the teachers that is of color. Mm -hmm. uh, and my daughter wanted to talk about that. I had um, a message from someone, by the way, who was kind of calling me out for using the term black about my daughter's friends. And I told this person that if I talked with my daughter about it, I would uh, mention it on the show. Um, this person objected to my calling my daughter's friends black and not using African-American. And the thing, as I thought about it, uh, and I was discussing these children in the construct of a discussion about race. I want to make that clear. Uh, I talked with her about it because I had recalled that they themselves refer to themselves as black. And I had remembered that. And I believe that's why I was using that term. I, I mentioned it to my daughter and she said, yes, it is perfectly fine to call my friends black. Uh, that is what they call themselves. And the reason they call themselves that is several of them are not African-American. <laughs> some of them are Dominican. Some of them are have Cuban background or come from South America or their background is somewhere else other than Africa. And so, yes, we've made a decision in my, among my friends that my friends are black and that's, they just don't worry about it. 
because African-American isn't the right term for them. And there has been a whole discussion between them about that. Uh, But my daughter wanted to talk about this whole kind of privilege thing of what happens when you're affirmative action versus what happens when you buy your way in in a fake way versus totally legally buying a building for the school and then getting an admission. You know, what what where where does the privilege stop and when where how do you do this fairly the the Rodney Dangerfield and method the Rodney Dane and this is what i yeah. used as my post was that you know it's a really big check <laughs> that Thornton Mellon gave to the school <laughs> so he could be a freshman in back to school uh my second favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie <laughs> uh the the thing is as i said to my daughter i i personally blue gal am an affirmative action student I went to Brandeis, and Brandeis is a Jewish-founded school. It was founded by a Jewish concern in 1948 because Harvard at that time did not admit Jewish students. Mm -hmm. This is 1948, not 1848, okay? Harvard didn't let Jews in in 1948. Harvard, I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't let Jews in because... Brandeis was founded at that time as a place of inclusion. Their admissions department works very hard for inclusion of people from different backgrounds, as many admissions departments do. I don't think diversity is a negative thing for an admissions department to look for in a student body. You're putting together a freshman class. You want them to not be all the same kind of person. You want to give your students varied backgrounds and friends and different kinds of people so that they can have a varied experience. That is democratization of the college campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't need to make an argument to our audience in favor of affirmative action, I don't think. No, but, I, I'm pretty sure they're uh, they're on board with I'm that. pretty sure they're okay with yeah. this. But I would like to just take a second and, because I'm smiling in here uh, mm-hmm. uh, a dozen yards away from you, uh, at just not at anything that not the the subject matter, but I have a picture in my head of you having a complex discussion about race with youngest child, and mm-hmm. youngest child having a complex uh, sort of um, tribe meeting among all yeah. of her friends to decide how they will refer to themselves and why they will do oh, so. Absolutely, and I'm yeah. like, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That is exactly well, it's awesome. That a 14 year old girl would say, but wait. Just because my my skin is this color, I'm not African American. Right. My background is such is different than that. And then, what should we do about that? Yeah. Well, let's let's, what, let's how talk do we do? About yeah, it. how do we deal with it? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And that's not uh, discriminating no. in any way. That is making a stand for who I am. Right. Who you know? Here's what. Here's how I want to be mm-hmm. referred to as. Whatever. Meanwhile, and, back at Brandeis. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. So I went to Brandeis as a little Christian girl from Corn and Cows rural community in Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had had the SAT scores that were on par with every other student who was being admitted. And they didn't they didn't lower the standards of the school for me in any way. But I was put in the pile of here is a person who will bring diversity to the student body. Yeah. So, yeah, that was affirmative action for sure. <laughs> um, these actresses and other people who... Uh, spent way more <laughs> than two, four years of tuition to get their children um, on on the rowing team when they didn't row. Right. 
I mean, I just don't understand that stupidity. I just don't understand the level of stupidity that 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 it feels as though they were scammed in a lot of ways. I, I imagine their attorneys are trying to figure out a way to make it the argument that we were scammed by school administration sure. officials, you know, sure. or but they were just stupid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Stupid people with a lot of money, it, right? But yeah. it, it, what it really does for the umpteen zillionth time, it, mm-hmm. it, it pulls the curtain back on the whole farce of meritocracy. Right. That right. if you just work hard and you just earn it, you know, you'll find your, your proper place right. in the world. And you find out, oh, no, no, the people with money are ac- actively rigging the game so yep. hard that it is no longer sufficient that their kid have just an enormous amount of money and wealthy and, and famous parents. Those parents now need to bribe them into a school to make sure mm-hmm. they have even more privilege. Right, right. And and, and I I want to recommend – to everyone. I know it's been out for a few years and most of you have read it already. Um, Chris Hayes' book, Twilight of the Elites, Mm -hmm. his whole chapter devoted to uh, the amount of money spent on test prep courses, the amount of money spent getting into the right preschool, because that's a feeder to the private schools in New York City, and that's a feeder to the private high schools in New York City, and that's a feeder to the private schools, colleges, you know, around the country, that it's who you know, it's who you know, it's who you know. Yeah. And there's a path for rich people that starts at age three and a half. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, getting uh, test prep over and over again and spending $1,500 to be taught at a private business how to write your college essay, how to uh, study for the standardized testing, et cetera. It's all, there is just a way you can purchase a certain amount of success. So um, I, I will this, say, it's the stupidity of spending half a million dollars <laughs> to, to get on the rowing team. Uh, it does still boggle me. Well, I remember I was maybe late teens, early 20s mm-hmm. uh, when I bought my dad's car off of him. Mm-hmm. And it was a shitty car. And it, but it got me where I wanted to go. It was my first car. And he gave me like a little uh, handwritten um, booklet of what you do. Here's when you change the oil and here's when you, you change the tires and just maintenance. This is how mm-hmm. you keep your car running. Yeah. That in my memory is the first and only time anyone ever handed me a book explaining how the world works. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> At all. Yeah. I have, mm-hmm. I have, I, I would, I had no, I still have very little idea how the world really works. I mean, I've doped it out over the years, but there clearly is a jet stream, a way to get ahead in the world that mm-hmm. if you have enough money, you can buy your way in mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. buy it. This is evidenced by the idiot in the white house and his inbred right. you know, half with children. Right. Um, being, you know, the most powerful family in the universe. Yeah. Um, there is, there is a way to, to make your way in the world as a working person uh, and, and as a, as a, a middle-class person that's, that's very quickly evaporating. Yeah. And yeah. there was no roadmap for how to live a life that isn't the 1950s, get a job, have a job for 30 years, retire from that job, you know, right. get drunk, go nuts and die. Um, right. That's the, there's that model simply doesn't exist anymore. That's the only model I ever had for how to I, I no one ever taught me how to how to start a business, how to think about starting a business. 
um, sort of how politics works in the office. Right. Uh, oh my I've God. Had, I've had, um, I've had jobs just ripped out from under me. I've had careers ripped out from under me. Afterwards, I find out, oh, no, you were the most qualified person by like a lot. But this guy got people drunk and was right. friends with Alderman and and was, you know, the drinking buddy of the commissioner. So you were never going to get that job. Right. The, idea that, that, the idea that you were applying for, it was part of the deal because we have to have three or four applicants. But yep. despite the fact that you were overwhelmingly qualified for this job, there was no way on earth you were ever going to get it. And no one's ever going to tell you that. Well, and and add to that, add to your uh, understandable ignorance of the way the world really worked in the mm-hmm. office place. Add a sexual dynamic with yeah, exactly. women to that. Exactly. Yep. Of, oh, yep. you know, if if you want to succeed in this office building, you've got to sleep with X, Y, and Z. You've got to sleep yep. with this person. Yep. And that's, and that's just, you've got to let him touch your ass every day. You've got to let him violate you. Mm-hmm. And so the Me Too movement is, is in part, yes, I don't want to be sexually violated, mm-hmm. but it's also, we're not going to let the world work this way anymore. Yes. And it's, I was a secretary in an office. Mm-hmm. I was promoted from a job where I was really doing real work in a building. And they said, oh, she's so smart. We'll put her on the top floor and make her a secretary. And I failed at that because I didn't understand that being a secretary in this particular office meant wear a skirt, wear lots of makeup, wear lots of jewelry, mm-hmm. wiggle around, uh, always look busy, but don't actually make any decisions or write anything or draft anything or set any set any policies about even office supplies. No, you don't do any of that. You're just there to uh, wiggle your ass and make yourself look sexy and so that people that come to that office know that the people that were actually do work here, the men that actually do work here are powerful. Mm-hmm. That's your job. And so, uh, yeah, this... It's touching all kinds of buttons. That's why it, it it's it you know, really is. Fi- setting fire to social media and everywhere else. Yeah. I was impressed with the truth shouter after the Manafort sentencing. You know, if, if we could hold all press conferences outdoors on the steps of courtrooms. Yeah. yeah. I would be delighted. Yeah. Uh, because you want to, well, why don't you tell, tell everyone what that is? Well, it was a repeat of the week before, and we're sorry we didn't get to talk about this last week, the, the terrible disappointment in the judge in the first Manafort sentencing, uh, because we recorded on Thursday afternoon. Paul Manafort, blameless life. <laughs> yep, blameless, blameless life. life. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, see, speaking of, speaking of people that get this in this uh, fast lane, right, of mm-hmm. privilege. Uh, one white man told another man, that he, white rich man, that he lived a... a basically blameless life apart from this one thing right yeah sad really uh and and apart from his mistress this was the thing this week that just got me in the gut was uh manafort's claim that he's his wife's only caretaker right she has right. some a uh, brain injury and uh you know every everyone on twitter that had any memory at all was like you mean the wife that he forced into having sex parties and uh, the well-paid housed mistress that uh, Manafort had, in yeah. addition to to uh, the wife with brain damage that he was having sex parties with Russian oligarchs in Why don't Trump you just Tower? pay your mistress to take care of your wife? Problem solved. <laughs> While you're in jail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, 
But this week, the same attorney came out and said the same thing. In both cases, in both sentencings, Manafort's attorney came out. And what did you call him this morning? Fred Flintstone? Yeah, he's got the Fred Flintstone hair. (laughs) He's got the Fred Flintstone haircut. (laughs) He's basically Paul Manafort, uh, the before photo when you color your hair. Yeah. So he's the gray-haired guy who looks in an overstuffed suit, blustery, red-faced, you know, my client. And... He couldn't get three words out before the truth shouter jumped yeah, in. Yeah, well, he, the, the, it, it was this no no collusion, no collusion, which I I still don't understand why the judge in this case this week didn't haul him back into court and call him in contempt of court for saying yeah. things that she did not say, uh, try, attempting to quote the judge. You know, as we've seen, the judge said no collusion. She didn't say that. That's what the truth-telling protester yelled out while he was talking at the microphone he said you're a liar you are lying she didn't say that and what i loved about that is she didn't say that became uh-huh. the lead in <laughs> after his little press conference to yep. all the news coverage right was notice they said she didn't say that that's because she didn't say that yeah <laughs> and yeah. you just had to have that soundbite be in the reporter's ear for them to then make that the story, not but, what he was lying. But as you've mentioned on this podcast mm-hmm. once or twice, um, the only way, last week, as a matter of fact, the only way the media, the legitimate media, the CNNs mm-hmm. and the MSNBCs used to go after Fox News was via John Stewart. Exactly. Yeah. Because it was, it, apparently there was a memo from the guys who, you know, own your ass that you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to go after them directly, but if you can find a bank shot, I'm not saying the Fox News are lying. John Stewart is saying it in a very funny way. So let's talk to John Stewart now. It's it's the oh, why isn't anyone in the whole fucking Washington press corps standing up at Sarah Sanders' press conference going, You're lying. You're yeah. lying. They yeah. didn't say that. She didn't say that. You're a liar. Well, because we're not allowed to do that. Really? That would you're be the, rude. Yes. You're right. the press. Have you yep. noticed how rude reporters can be? How rude they used to be? Reporters used to go in people's houses and steal pictures of their children yep. who had died so they could put them on the news. Reporters mm-hmm. are supposed to be filthy, rotten, drunken bastards uh, who will get the goddamn story and then write it up and go home and sob. But into now their, they're well-paid lapdogs. Ex- yep. Now they're all yep. they're all there by internships and by the grace of their rich parents. And right, right. I, you know, I interned under and I and I really want to succeed. And how do I get? And this again is privilege showing its ugly head. One Hunter Thompson sitting front and center at the, at a press conference is worth one million uh, uh, Beltway reporters. Yeah, you're just saying you're lying. Not asking a question. You're fucking lying. You are fucking lying, and and you are embarrassing. You're humiliating your profession. Going down the list of all the the the, uh, the press secretaries who weren't fucking liars or who yep. weren't this bad at it, and that would be the lead in the news. Now you would probably be out of a job the next day, but time was when you go across the street from the Chicago Daily News to the Chicago yeah. Sun Times and you get another job. Um, but you're not going to get another job paying what these jobs pay. But this one guy just shouting at a lawyer on the steps in the in the range of cameras. And ready to do it. Yep. Did more journalism yep. than the average group of of White House press corps reporters do in a month. Yeah. And that is pathetic. That is that absolutely is pathetic. pathetic. It is pathetic. And I don't know uh 
I, I don't really want to dovetail into this topic, but it is abuse. That is what is going on. The, yeah. This is these are abused people who are taking it and taking it every day uh, to keep their status. And uh, it's it's got to stop that the politeness police. We can't yell out liar and walk out on her because that's not professional. That's not polite. Mm-hmm. Uh, being being a liar is being an abuser. Lying to somebody is abusing them. And if you're going to t- continue to take that on behalf of us, who we're, we're here out here in the cornfield, you know, uh, expecting truth from our media and what we're getting is politeness in the face of abuse. Right. Uh, yeah. You're supposed so, to be our proxy in the room. Yeah. You're supposed to yeah. represent us, not the corporation that owns the television station that you work at. And the idea that, and but again, this is a, another example of roadmaps. Someone yeah. handed these people a map of their world, a map of their professions. Here are the do's and don'ts. Here's what you say. Here's what you don't say. And we can all deduce what that map must look like based on your mm-hmm. behavior. It's not very hard. Mm-hmm. When you see a blood drunk ghoul like Bill Crystal being given the red carpet treatment after being completely wrong about everything his whole fucking life on the same station that used to mock Bill Crystal, you know that someone had a little sit down with the boys and girls at MSNBC and said, okay, here's the deal, kids. Uh, lay the fuck off of him. He's he's his paycheck is signed by the same guy who signs your paycheck. So now we're all going to shut up about what a monster Bill Crystal is, right? Right? Yeah. And everyone yeah. nods, and, yes, sir. And they get and the, you get to still go do your story about airplanes and recessions and Donald Trump being a shithead, but you don't touch Bill Crystal because Bill Crystal's on our team now. And the thing is, we can see it. We can see it when CNN invites Kellyanne Conway on the air over and over again to lie to you. And then Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo have a steel cage death match over whether right. or not we should invite liars on television. Who the fuck's running that show? Right. She didn't wander on the set. <laughs> Who's in charge of CNN <laughs> is a big question. Who's in charge? Yeah. Oh, well, and Jeff Sucker's in charge and Jeff Sucker likes to see red ants and black ants fighting. So first we'll have a fight between Chris Cuomo and Kellyanne Conway. Arr! Then we'll have Kellyanne, then we'll have Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon fight. Arr, that's good. That's ratings. That's a good dollar right there. No, it's you know, it's a whole bunch of things, but it's not news. Exactly. And it's terribly, terribly corrosive. And Jeff Sucker, if he had a soul, should be ashamed yeah. of himself. But clearly he doesn't because this is his work. And product. I don't get how then they walk into the office every day saying what a privilege it is and First Amendment this and First Amendment that when they work for a corporation that's that allows lying to you, to the American people. All because time. someone, someone down the road gave them a roadmap. Mm-hmm. This is how the game is played. This is what you do. This is this is whose dick you have to suck. This is whose back you have to scratch. This is this is who it's okay to punch. This is don't you dare touch this person. Those are the rules. And if you follow them and you have a nice haircut and you look good on camera and you're a pleasant person, you can be fucking rich. <laughs> you can call your your mom and dad will be real proud of you and you can you can have the world as your oyster. And you know what? You can get to do your stories that you like. Yeah. You know, you can get to you can get to you can get to yell at R. Kelly. Okay, you can do those things. But there's a whole bunch of things that you're not going to be able to do. Just know that going in, because that's bad for the bottom right. line. And you are now a profit center, and we're not going to let you do those things. If you do those things, there's a lovely journalism class you can go teach at Columbia. Oh, Columbia! But you're not no gonna be able way! To do you're not going to be allowed in at Columbia. No. no, no. <laughs> Some community college no. as an adjunct, maybe if we tossed you out. Yeah. 
But that, that, that and that really is the overall, and this sort of does lead to Joe Biden, the maddening thing yeah. for those of us out here in the cornfield who have memories and eyes and processing brains and can think things through, we can see what you're doing. You're doing it in a big glass box. We can see the things you're avoiding and the things you're refusing to talk about and the things you're skipping over and the people you refuse to push, all of which you should not be doing if you were an actual journalist. So there must be some overwhelming, countervailing force pushing you away from or, or simply not letting you in the door and only letting in people who are willing to be that bad at that job. There's a reason for it. So this this incredible push in the mainstream media now, you know, two years out uh -huh. to make Joe Biden the Democratic nominee as a balanced candidate uh, is right. is pretty remarkable. I think the Democratic base is going to have something to say about that. I wrote a long, boring, turgid post this week, but it was it stuck in my craw for long enough where I had to get it out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just the mainstream media. It's the never Trumpers. man. Well, it is the never Trumpers are deciding again that they can choose the Democratic nominee for president, which is hilarious. And it's, all, it's, and it's Biden. And it's Biden. It's always, it's always Biden. Go right, right down the list. I, I went through a whole bunch of examples. It's it, it, the, the well, you know, I would never consider voting for a Democrat. Except maybe Joe Biden. You know, Joe Biden's always been an honest guy. He might, you know, he might has a lot of gaffes, but him I would consider. He's a reasonable guy. Well, and the, He's a the, centrist who is the person who said that Joe Biden should skip the Democratic primaries and run as an independent? Oh, I. You I had know, something some in your asshole. blog about that. I, it was, yeah. it was stunning. It was stunning. Yeah. Uh, and and let's say everybody loves Uncle Joe. If Uncle Joe is a nominee, we'll vote for him. Sure. He has if he wants to win a Democratic primary, he's got to stop with this Hickenlooper. I'm going to work with McConnell. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to work with McConnell. Is that's not a selling point for the Democratic base. So, no, and that's but that's the thing. That is Joe Biden's brand. It is. Um yeah. I get in trouble says Joe Biden at the US Conference on Mayors. I read in the New York Times today that one of my problems is is if I were ever to run for president I like Republicans. Okay, well, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And it's Joe Biden is the guy who thinks that he can sit down with those, you know, with, as I said, the ghost of Tip O'Neill mm -hmm. and Ronald Reagan mm -hmm. and drink scotch mm -hmm. and solve every problem because we're all backslapping guys here. And the idea that 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 that, that exists anywhere. That world still exists. Of, right, right. As if it ever did. But even Jonathan Shait this week wrote that the most unrealistic promise a Democrat can make is return is returned to bipartisanship. Right. Right. Because Mitch McConnell has already publicly said before Donald Trump was even a glimmer in the eyes of every racist in America, mm -hmm. Mitch McConnell was saying, no, screw it. We're going to fuck over uh, Barack Obama every chance right. we get. We have no intention of cooperating with him. We want to destroy him. We want to destroy his legacy. We're going to steal his Supreme Court seat. You know, okay, you know, guess what? Joe Biden, here's my first task for you as candidate. How are you going to get the uh, Merrick Garland seat back from right, Mitch McConnell? Right. He stole it from us. Why don't you go over there, work your magic, <laughs> work your bipartisan magic, yep. and get Mitch McConnell to give us a Supreme Court seat? Why don't you scurry off and do that? And then come on back. And once you do that, then you can be our president. Right. But until you do that, shut the fuck up about making nice with people who want to put a knife in your chest. Now, I know that's your brand, and I know it makes people real happy. <laughs> Jeff Fest is getting upset. <laughs> well, I'm just – and I will, I, will support, I will support Uncle Joe. I will, I will campaign for him. I will give him money if he's the candidate for president. I'm telling people right now that the reason he is being lifted up by the beltway 
is that he's a bosiderist. Yeah. The reason he's beloved by the never Trumpers is he his implicit promise that I will never hold you responsible for how fucked up your Republican Party is. We'll all get together and agree that it was just Donald Trump. He was an aberration of your party. He was a one off, but everything else is cool. And then we'll all get along, which is, if you remember, exactly the same bargain that Barack Obama made yeah. after George Bush nearly destroyed the country. Look, we're not going to, and Nancy Pelosi, we're not going to impeach you. Just let us get in the office. Let us fix all the horrible, horrible fires you left burning. And then we'll all get along again. And the Republican Party said, oh, you're going to let us off the hook? No matter what we do? Fine. We're going to burn this shit down. We're going to stop everything and blame you for doing it and then run against you as a tyrant for trying to govern. By the way, and Sean Hannity is still uh, running against Hillary as of last night. Well, so yeah. uh, we just want to let everybody know, in case you missed it, uh, Milwaukee is going to host the 2020 Democratic National Convention. Yes. It's happening uh, during my birthday week. Uh, yeah. The last day of the convention is my birthday, July 16th. Milwaukee is in driving distance from our house. Uh, and so we might go. We're not sure. Uh, we'll have to do a fundraiser to get there, uh, but we'll let you know. And uh, the thing is, I've been to big events like this. I went to the Clinton's first inaugural, Bill Clinton's first inaugural, uh -huh. and we wound up going home and watching it on the TV at our hotel because it was just yeah. uh, easier. So <clears throat> we'll see what happens. There's there's a lot of um, we are in touch with people who might have press passes and so forth. So. We mm -hmm. will see what happens, uh, but uh, it's it's on it's on our uh, long range planning list of things that might happen. Yeah, well, we'll see. Beto O'Rourke announced this week that he's going to run for president, and uh, Steve Mnuchin said that he will protect Donald Trump's uh, tax returns. Well, the title of my post on that is uh, Steve Mnuchin will protect Donald Trump's tax returns until he can't. <laughs> yeah, and the House Ways and Means Committee is coming hard for those, and it. It's uh, Bill Pascrell of New Jersey just told Steve Mnuchin, he didn't say buckle up. He said, he said it's coming. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get around that. They're going to, they're going to get the and A pretty important point to make this week is that this is the week that Donald Trump explicitly threatened violence against yep. his critics. Yep. That I have From the support of the police, the military and bikers for Trump. I have tough people, but if they don't play it tough until they go to a certain point, then it'll be very, very bad. And what that is, is I, I'm a fascist yeah. and I have the cops, I have the army, and I've got a bunch of brown shirts who will beat the shit out of my critics if they dare to try to stop me from doing what I want to do. And if you're on his side, then you are not on America's side. It's pretty much that simple at this point. If you're a still a member of the Republican Party, you're trash and you have no business having your opinion anywhere in public except as a, as a source of ridicule and rebuke. That's it. And I'm grateful for the climate change protesters me too go Very watch some so. of those videos if you're feeling down go watch those climate change protests it will make you feel better uh donald trump did claim that democrats hate jewish people by the way <laughs> I, I do want to mention I, i'll just steal this from someone on on the twitter i forget who the idea that donald trump invented a a term for the jexit uh that it's exodus for jewish people i guess i guess he never got out of two corinthians i'm back in two corinthians here yeah no and and when quizzed quizzing him i just just tell us your favorite verse in the bible oh that'd be unfair it's all so good they're also very good just tell us one no they're all so good i don't want to seem like i'm making favorites but it's such a great book it's such a good book and he couldn't name love thy neighbor he couldn't quote jesus wept either right he couldn't quote anything <laughs> 
and then that's went my down. favorite when I hear when I hear him talk like that is Jesus wept. I want to talk about Ilhan Omar, yeah, uh, briefly, which is uh, connects back to my time at Brandeis. I, I tweeted about this, and uh, I think it's an important point to make. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot at Brandeis University about Israeli politics. And one of the things I learned is that so much of our mainstream media is in the pocket of Likud, that there are voices in Israel, there are voices in Israeli politics that we in the United States never hear. Yeah. And uh, Bibi Netanyahu is probably going to jail right now uh, because he's as corrupt as Donald Trump. Let me put it that way. Uh don't forget that the Republican Party invited Bibi Netanyahu to address Congress while Barack Obama was mm-hmm. president. There is a right-wing Zionist politics in this country that Donald Trump has glommed onto that he thinks will he can market himself to uh, or mark, market to. And uh, Jewish voters are not a monolith no. uh, any, any more than any other religious group are. Uh, they have a cultural connection to Israel. They have wide variety of opinions within and without Israel, and that ought to be respected. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not because the media just covers one argument, which is a pro-Israel Zionist argument. Don't forget, Sarah Palin had a Israeli flag on her desk. You know, she there. It's it is absolutely the same kind of uh, crass pandering that went on when Congress had Bibi Netanyahu speak to yeah. to Congress. Uh, so, yeah, there are Israelis who are absolutely right-wing Republicans. There are. Uh, there are uh, Jewish people in the United States that are right-wing Republicans. There are Jewish Americans who are not that. And you can't paint anyone with that kind of wide brush. Ilhan Omar had a visit from some Orthodox Jews last week uh, who were absolutely with her 100% in terms of supporting her, supporting what she said about APAC. Uh, and and again, there's layers and layers and layers of opinions in there that I'm, I'm glossing over. But believing in, in the dignity of all human beings is what this man who, who spoke for this group of Orthodox Jews said, you know, what Judaism is, is respect for humanity and love for humanity. And the Palestinian people deserve respect as part of the human family. I mean, he was making those kind of statements. And he went and visited her and talked to her. So it's not a monolith. And it's not, and the people that are exploding her comments and making them what they are not are doing so in a crass politically advantageous way right. to, to make hay uh, for their political p- opinion. And, and if um, it weren't her, it'd be someone else. If no, it weren't exactly. Her, it, they'll, find, be... they'll find some other way. She's an easy target because she wears a hijab. Right. And, uh, you know, we haven't talked about Tucker Carlson enough this week, and we no. haven't talked about Janine Bureau. Uh, Fox has to die. I am tweeting advertisers now myself and just, mm-hmm. and just letting them know I'm being very personal about it. I'm not calling for a boycott. I am simply saying to advertisers, I'm not going to buy your product because child brides is statutory rape. Right. Right. (laughs) And if you want to close your eyes to that and still advertise on those shows and endorse that person, I'm not going to buy your product. And so I'm keeping it 
to my personal opinion and what I will buy and what I will shop for and what I will recommend to others. So I'm keeping it about me. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm ending every tweet I send with the word statutory rape, <laughs> because that's what this is about with what, Tucker. And what happened to Tucker Carlson is is he walks on the same eggshells that everyone else, I think, in the media walks on. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who want to let their hair down and be cool and hang with the rebels and say outrageous things um, after hours mm-hmm. when they're off mm-hmm. the air, when they're on radio with Bubba the Love Sponge, when they're when they're on the Internet, or when, when they're, they're on Twitter, when they're, yeah. they're yeah. rapping with the people. But they never want to be held accountable for those. There's this bright line between what I do in the one hour I'm on television and the other 23 hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing, those hours don't count. And there's this weird agreement among a whole lot of people across the media that that's the way it should be. That we're not we're not going to hold each other accountable for the terrible things we say and do uh, when the camera's not rolling because then we're all screwed. And someone pulled the trigger on Tuck- Tucker Carlson and said, nope, no, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and look at all your old shit. We're going to put it out there. This is who you are. This is who you always have been. And your advertisers should really know that that this is what they're buying with their money. And the reaction, I think, is entirely appropriate. But my question is, oh, are we holding people accountable for the shit they've said and done now? Because yeah, if that's right. the new rule, I really want to hear about it. Because mm-hmm. I'd like to hear all about Charlie Sykes' years up in Wisconsin <laughs> on the radio. Each week, we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. But this week's Internet Kitty is another dog. This dog is named Pepper. He's a Belgian sheepdog, which makes him a crazy socialist. <laughs> He's also a smart and agile runner, and he is so cute. You should go wa- look at him at our Facebook page and website. Pepper is a cutie. You can send your Internet Kitty or other pet to our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Please use in the subject line the word kitty so that uh, I get it. You can also write to both of us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions. Letter on the air unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. This is not charity. This is our job. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website, proleftpod.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at proleftpod.com. Please share our show on Facebook or Twitter or any other social media, and thank you for doing that. Hey, Dreckless, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties step right through your stupid daylight savings time. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Left Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2018, DGBG Productions Incorporated.